You just clicked into the Get Your Money Right podcast, the podcast where not only do we want you to get your money, we want you to get your money right. Today's episode is entitled Men Lie, Women Lie, and Numbers Do Too. Let's get it. good news misfits welcome welcome to the get your money right podcast it's a podcast where we talk about money like it's everybody's business because i truly believe we're not good with money because we don't talk about money and this podcast was designed to change just that if this is your first time listening i am your host the money misfit jamar dupas and i'd like to welcome you to the show this is a different type of personal finance podcast here we talk about money as it applies to real life there won't be any stock tips or any convoluted financial jargon that's get tossed around but basically we want to talk about how we can take money and apply it to our lives to do the things we want to do to raise extraordinary families to go see the world as we meant to see to start our businesses because I, I really do believe you know like money is one of those things I think Zig Ziglar said it best right he said Money's not everything, but it ranks right up there with oxygen. And I think what he's trying to say is money's not all that important. At least that's what people have told us. But when you don't have any, it makes it real hard to breathe, right? And so we want to be able to maximize the money we do have. And I think we can do that by talking to each other about money, opening up the conversation about money, and educating ourselves about money and how it applies to our lives, our goals, ambitions, and all that stuff that we want to achieve, right? And so, again, if this is your first time listening to the show, if you want to find out more information, just head over to yourmoneyright.com. That's yourmoneyright.com. There you'll be able to see the show notes uh, on the show and all past episodes. You'll be able to sign up. For our Misfit membership site, uh, where you can get more detailed and upcoming courses and webinars that we got coming up. And we're just going to basically talk about money and teach you teach you about money. And now, I'm not a financial expert. I don't sell any financial products or anything like that. I'm just a firefighter who's a father, a husband, who has found very unique ways to manage our money to where we were able to bring my wife home from work uh, from a job that really wasn't that fulfilling for her. Uh, to pursue the things that she want to pursue and for us to start businesses and doing what we're doing today, talking to you all on a single income on a firefighter salary, which ain't much. Uh, But we're able to do that. And we just want to be able to share our financial peace with other people. So that's a little bit about me. And that's a little bit about the podcast. So let's get on what we're going to talk about today. Normally I'll do some announcements and things like that, but we're just going to get right on into to the topic today. And the topic today is is men lie, women lie, and numbers do too. Now, I don't have to remind you that men and women lie, so we're not going to really talk about that. We're going to talk about the numbers. We're going to talk about numbers that we depend on or that we use to score ourselves in lives that are typically not good or lie to us about our financial condition, 
in other words. And this is going to ruffle some feathers, especially those that are in the financial services industry that sell things like mutual funds and, and 401ks and, and, you know, credit restoration and yada, yada, yada. Y'all get the point, right? But what my goal here is not to call anybody out, but to give you the information you need to make sure that the numbers you're given aren't just lies, aren't just misleading, right? How can we take this information that we get from the financial industry and really understand what they're telling us? And how do we find the numbers that really matter to us when we're trying to keep score of our financial lives, right? So the first one is a big one, and that's the one I'm going to start off with. And the first lie that we get all the time is the average rate of return, right? So where would you see this, for example, if you were to purchase a mutual fund or an investment or a stock? A lot of times on a prospectus, they'll tell you what the average rate of return is or has been in the past. Now, they always and they have to say that past performance does not equal future performance. So I will go ahead and echo that, that the past performance does not equal future performance. So I'm not knocking anything, but what I want you to understand is that the average rate of return when it comes to us means nothing, right? Because you don't really care about the average rate of return. What you care about is the actual rate of return. Don't tell me what the average is. I want to know what my money actually is going to return to me, right? And now they can't predict the future, but let me give you an example how this number can be misleading, right? I'm going to show you how you can get a 25% rate of return. And this is just so we can keep the number simple, right? So if I'm trying to sell you something, say, hey man, I'm going I'm to I'm show you something. I'm going to give you 25% rate of return, right? And it's hard to do this over audio, but just stick with me here. Let's say I have $100, right? And I go to invest my hundred dollars. All right. And when I invest that hundred dollars, I get in that first year, I get a hundred percent rate of return. Right. So I get a hundred percent on my money. So I start with a hundred dollars. I get a hundred percent return. So now I have two hundred dollars. Right. Big year. Right. It's pretty good. Now, next year, let's say we hit a recession or something bad happens and I lose 50 percent of my money. Right. First year, I made 100%. Next year, I made 50% or I lost half. So I started with 100, doubled my money, I got to 200. And now this year, I lost half of it. Now I'm back down to 100, right? Now, if I take those two numbers, those rate of returns, let's say I take that 100% of return that I got the first year, and I take that negative that 50% loss that I got the second year and I average those two together, that number comes out to a 25% rate of return, right? So some of y'all like, man, how you do that math, right? So a hundred plus a negative 50, so to speak, divided by two gives you 25, right? And that's what the broker or the mutual fund or the financial advisor will sell you on. They won't sell you on the actual rate of return. They'll sell you on the average, right? So what's the actual rate of return? Well, let's look at it. If I got $100, I double my money, and I have $200. The next year I lose my money, 
I lose 50% of that, I'm back at $100. So though they told you you got a rate of return of 25%, you actually got a rate of return of nothing, right? I mean, your actual return is nothing. You didn't get anything back. You didn't make any money. But they can tell you because they're not lying, right? Just the number itself lies to you about what it's giving you. If that makes sense. And I hope you're real clear on that. This is one of the biggest things. And this is one of the first things I realized that opened my eyes to the game. I was like, man, this, this is crazy. They're out there telling people, man, if you get a 12% average rate of return, we'll give you 8% average rate of return. And even they have us calculating our quote unquote retirements based on average rates of return. Average rates of return does not equal actual rate of returns. And if you understand these numbers, you can take that with a grain of salt. And I'm not telling you not to invest in mutual funds. I'm not telling you not to invest for your retirement, but just want to give you this information so that you can make more informed decisions about your future and about how you're investing your money. If you're going to invest in this particular way. So the first lie is the average rate of return does not equal the actual rate of return. So I hope that makes sense. If you have any questions, you guys, you know, you can always just, Shoot me an email or something. Hit me up on Facebook. The next number that lies to us is our home value, right? How much your house is worth. Now, I used to believe that if your house is worth a lot, that means you're rich, right? Uh, and because it asks your net worth, and we'll talk about net worth. Net, net worth is on, on the list, too, so we're going to get to that in a minute. But your home values mean nothing, Right? They may be an indicator of where your area is going or where the market may be or how people are feeling in the market right now. But your home value means absolutely nothing unless you're selling. And even if you are selling, it doesn't mean anything to the person that's buying because they're only going to pay what they're willing to pay for your house. So you can say to somebody, hey, I know you want to buy my house for 100000 but my house is worth 200000 but if nobody in the market wants in the market wants to pay you two hundred thousand, it doesn't matter what you think your home is worth. It only is worth what somebody is willing to pay for. Now, let me also give you an example. Uh, just recently, I got a letter in the mail that my mortgage is going up. Well, not actually my mortgage. Um, your mortgage is made of, of of more than just the mortgage itself, or at least your payments. At least for us, because we got our when we bought our home, we had everything escrowed. And basically, um, inside of our monthly payment, we have our mortgage, we have our interest, we have our taxes, and we have our insurance. Now, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to pull that out of escrow because it's annoying and it gets on my nerves, and it's not very efficient when it comes to my money. But we'll talk about that in a whole other day uh, because I'm going to refinance, and I think I'm gonna what I'm going to do is let you guys walk through uh, that process with me and my wife and how we decide to refinance and stuff like that. And also, if any of you all know any uh, cool, uh, really knowledgeable uh, mortgage folks uh, that were willing to come on the show and talk about that, even talk to us about the refinance. Hit them up, let them know about the show, uh, or tell them to send me an email. We'll love to talk to them about our process on that. But anyway, I said I wasn't going to do any announcements here. I'm announcing stuff. But anyway, so we got a letter that our escrow account was behind. It was behind by like $1,600 or something like that, and we need to catch it up. Uh, what we could do is write them a check for $1,600 or we can increase what we pay monthly. Now, since we bought the house, we've only been house for a few years. Uh, we initially, our P 
P-I-T-I or pity that, that what I was talking about, your principal, your interest, your taxes and your insurance is what your your house note is comprised of when you and you escrow. We initially got it lowered because we got our insurance uh, rates decreased. And we talked about this before, about how you can increase deductibles and how your credit score and things like that can help you get your insurance costs down. But anyway, so when we first came in, we actually got our uh, house note, our house payments decreased because of the insurance deal. But since then, what we pay on our mortgage or what we pay on our house note has gone up about $180 a month, right? So when we first start looking into mortgages, we were all told that we need to get fixed rate mortgages because you knew exactly what your note was going to be. You knew exactly what your cost of home ownership was going to be. And that's not exactly true. When you get a fixed rate mortgage, the mortgage itself is fixed, right? But the other costs associated with it, your interest, your taxes, your insurance, well, your interest and your principal are the same, but your taxes and your insurance doesn't necessarily stay the same. Why? Well, because your taxes is based on your home value. In our particular neighborhood, our home value has been going up like crazy, right? So that's the reason for the increase in our taxes, about 100, really all that is taxes, $180 extra a month that that our uh, expenses have gone just being in this house, being in this neighborhood. We love our house. We love our neighborhood. But that's just to give you a heads up of what home values really mean. They don't really mean much to you until you're ready to sell. People get excited about it. Oh, my home values are going on my home value. Really, only thing that does increases your expenses of living there, right? Until you're ready to sell, it doesn't really matter, right? So, your property value, your home value, when it comes to numbers, don't mean anything when we're talking about numbers that grade or that keep count of your financial health, so to speak. So that's the second number that lies. The next we're going to talk about is the stock market, right? You hear all the time, the stock market is up, the stock market is down, the stock market is volatile, the stock market crashed, the stock market got all new highs. All that stuff don't matter, right? It doesn't matter to us. The only, the only reason it matters to us is if we're buying stock or if we're selling stock. And that's really only if you're actively doing it. So for the most part, don't pay attention to the stock market, right? Because unless you're actively investing in a stock market, it doesn't matter, right? None of the stuff you can control anyway, unless you're actually the CEO or you're on the board of some of these companies that are in the market, None of this stuff even matters to you. So when people say the stock market is crashing or they tell you your values or the stock that you have in this particular in this particular company is at an all-time high, don't get excited about it, right? Because it doesn't matter until you sell. Now, if it's at an all-time high and you decide to go ahead and cash out and it's higher than if it's at an all-time high, of course, it's higher than what you paid for it, and you want to cash out, then cool, you, you make that money. But on the same flip side of that, if the market crashes or you say you open you you own Apple stock, so to speak, and you hear, oh, Apple stock is plummeted 40 percent. Right. What should you do? Should you go sell your stock? Should you keep your stock? Should you buy more of it? The answer is it just depends on your particular situation. But my point is, don't get excited about it because nothing none of that really matters. Right. All these numbers are mythical numbers. They don't mean anything until it's time to say uh, sell it, all right? You can't cash out on it. 
So don't even worry about it. Don't shorten your lifespan by stressing about the stock market. Unless you are actively in a stock market, which you should not be actively in a stock market unless you already know the stuff I'm talking about. Unless you're actively in a stock market, it doesn't matter. And really, ultimately, even if you are actively in a stock market, it doesn't matter what you hear on the news about the stock market because, you know, you're doing your thing. So the next one, this is a big one because growing up, I used to think if I had this number high that I was doing well financially. As a matter of fact, it's funny because a few months back I was watching the show Blackish and on there they were having some money trouble. Right. And uh, the father of the show, he really couldn't believe that they were having any money problems. Right. Because what they had high income and he had an 819 credit score. Right. So that's the next number that will lie to you. And that's your credit score. Now, whether your credit score is super low or super high, it doesn't really matter. Right. Because it doesn't actually give you a good picture of one, your credibility. Right. Because that's what credit means. Right. It doesn't mean you're not a credible person. Now, it does mean that you you've had some some bad habits in the past. If you got a bad if you have a bad score or it means that you've learned how to game the system or learned how to manage your credit in a way so that you get you a favorable credit score. And we'll talk about that in this show, of course, because that's something that we did. We took our credit scores down to to the to the from the from the basements of all credit scores. And now. Uh, we're soaring pretty high on a, on a credit score scales. But your credit score doesn't give you a healthy picture of what your finances look like. It's just a number based on your ability to manage credit or inability to manage credit, right? So when it comes to the things that matter, your credit score ultimately doesn't matter to your, to your ability to build wealth or your ability to feed yourself or the, the ability to raise your family. The credit score is just that. It's just a number. Because you got a great score doesn't mean you're doing well financially. And just because you have a poor score, it doesn't mean that you're not doing well. It just means right now or in the past, it's a, it's a picture of what happened in the past. In the past, you've had some hiccups and your credit score reflects that. Or it could even not even mean that. Looking at the numbers, 83% of all credit scores have some type of error on it. And that error, for the most part, is giving you a lower score than you're supposed to have. So if 83% of all credit scores, all credit reports have errors on it, that probably means that your credit report has some errors on it, and you might want to take a look at that. And you'd be amazed at how just fixing errors on your credit report, something as simple as your job history, your income, um, your, your past addresses, and things like that, you'd be amazed at how fixing those simple things can actually increase your score, Right? And then from that, when you got a good credit score, you can utilize that to be more efficient with your dollars, to get better interest rates and stuff like that. But we'll leave that for a whole nother show. Right. So let's go on to the next one. P around the same thing about credit scores, your monthly payments. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Right. Many of you've heard it. Just because you have a monthly payment that you can afford doesn't mean it's a good idea, right? Doesn't mean that you're getting a good deal. And that's where the lie falls, right? So if you get a car note and you got a 22% interest rate and you're paying on it for seven years, that's not a good deal. 
no matter how low your payments are, right? Now, I'm a big believer in cash flow and lowering your expenses, uh, your monthly expenses and things like that, because that's ultimately what matters. But I'm not a believer of doing that at all costs, because you could turn around and end up paying for that car two times over just because you got a high interest rate and you're paying over six, seven. I've seen it even as high as eight years for a car note. You're not going to keep a car for eight years. Why would you do something like that? Well, you do something like that because that you were told that you can get low payments. So, and just as a tip, if you ever go to buy a car, one, try to buy a car with cash. If you can, if you cannot buy a car with cash, get your credit score up high so you can buy a car with almost same as cash, 0% down or 1%, 2% even. And don't be paying for the car, you know, eight, nine, 10 years down the road, right? But my what I'm trying to say is when you go get a car, the first thing that the car dealer is going to ask you is what type of payments you want. Do not talk to them about the type of payments you want. You need to have an idea of the payments you want, but you need to talk to them about the price of the vehicle, right? First, go in with some financing from your own bank or your own credit union or something like that if you have to finance it. But then when you go in, you just want to talk about price. Don't talk about payments because that payment game, it's, it's a lie, right? So that's why I want to bring that up. The next number that I lie to you is your salary, right? So now I know you heard me say that, hey, <laughs> you know, the income, your income is your most important asset, right? It's your most important, not your most important asset, but your most important wealth building uh, tool is your income. Your most important asset is you. But your salary means nothing if your salary matches your expenses, so if you make $100,000 a year and you spend $100,000 a year, your salary doesn't mean much of anything. If you make $300,000 a year and you spend $300,000 a year, your salary doesn't mean anything, right? So your salary is based on how you're doing well, how well you're doing financially is a lie if your expenses are just out of control. Right. Especially if you're spending more than what you're earning. So don't beat on your chest just because you got a large salary. Beat on your chest because you have a large salary and you're doing great things with that large salary. You're living a lifestyle you want to live. You're preparing for your future and you're working on uh, getting yourself to, to the road of financial independence. Because even a large salary, here's the thing about large salaries. And this is not 100 percent all the time. But when we get into recessions, it's usually those large salaried people that get cut first. Unless you're like really large, like CEOs of companies that you can write your own check and you can rob <laughs> you can rob the stockholders and all that other stuff. But we don't do that type of stuff. But for the most part, really high income uh, salaries or high income positions are usually the first places to get chopped when we go into recessions. And that's kind of the thing that happens in companies nowadays. They want to lower their expenses. So they look around and see what's the best way to do that. And if somebody has been on a job for a while and they're making a ton of money and they owe that person a lot of money and benefits, it's a pretty easy decision for them to just chop that person. So if you do have a large salary, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing well financially. And, and what you want to do is utilize that large salary and make sure you're converting that income. If you're working for wages, 
you convert that income to passive income, right? And so therefore you can, and that way you can get yourself into the area of financial independence. And that's when you're not necessarily working for money anymore, but your money is working for you. All right. So the next one is your net worth, right? Net worth is another one of those numbers that we use to indicate whether or not we're doing well financially. And the net worth can be a little misleading, right? So and this happened to a lot of people in California during the housing boom. One of the things they were doing uh, is they would buy a house. Right? Say, for instance, they bought this house that was $100,000. And then the home values would go up like 40%, like these crazy numbers. So what they would do is now their house would be worth $140,000. And what they would do, would they would do a refinance on a house, what they would call a cash-out refinance. So they would take this refinance and they would get $40,000 in cash in their hand uh, on this property because it's now it was worth a hundred thousand, but now it's worth one forty. So they would take that one forty. They have a new note for the one forty, but they would cash out and put forty thousand dollars in their pocket. Now they were doing this on larger scales because you know a lot of areas out there, the houses were five hundred thousand, a million dollars. There were people out there quitting their jobs because they just believed that the home values would just continue to increase and increase and increase, and they never have to work again. And when you think about that, just a ten percent increase on a million dollar home, you know, that's a hundred thousand dollars, right? So if you got a million dollar home and you got a 10% increase on your home values and some areas were doing 10% a month out there, right? And they would just repeatedly do these cash out refinances and just take that cash and put it in their pockets. Now on the grand scheme of things, this looked good, right? Because their net worth was pretty high. They may have had some debt, but their house may be worth a million dollars, right? But here's where it went wrong. So they would cash out refinance. And let's say they refinance and they got this million dollar loan on this, you know, million dollar house. But they took the cash out, right? When the stock market, not the stock market, but when the market, stock market too, but when the market turned around and housing prices plummeted, they were left stuck with this house that wasn't worth what it was when they last refinanced it. So, so for example, they refinanced it at a million dollars, but a year or two later, the house is only worth $500,000. So here they are with this million dollar house note. Now you still owe this million dollars that they brought from the bank for this mortgage, but the house today now is only worth 500,000. Right? So they started off with a net worth pretty good. But then things turned around because their house was no longer worth what they thought it was worth. And this is where net worth can get you in trouble. You can have a lot of stuff that's worth a lot of money at one point. But at the next point, it may not be worth much, right? So if somebody has a piece of land and the land is worth a million dollars, right? That's what they got it appraised for. They may put it on their bank statement as, is worth a million dollars. So they got this million dollar asset. But let's say the next year the market turns around, the house, the, the, the piece of land goes down in value, your net worth just goes down. Now you didn't do anything, right? You had no hand in it. You had no control over it. Your net worth just turned around the other direction. That's why net worth is only just a piece of the pie. It doesn't give you the full picture of how you're doing financially. Now, I'm not saying don't increase your net worth, right? Because we want to do that. I'm actually going to tell you, you should probably focus on cash flow more than anything and let the net worth take care of itself. But 
just don't get fooled by having a high net worth because you can have a high net worth on arbitrary things. And again, like your home values, it doesn't mean anything until you cash out, until you have access to that capital, right? That's the most important part when it comes to net worth. And the next thing, and this is one of the big things, and I've touched on this before, and then we're going to talk about the numbers that really matter. But your bank account, right? Your checking account balance. Your checking account balance will lie to you, right? <laughs> and I know you know what I mean, right? If you've ever checked your checking account to see if you afforded something, you know what I'm talking about. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I'll probably say it a million times before. If you're checking your checking account to see if you can afford something, you're doing it wrong. You need to stop. You're going to get hit with an overdraft fee. I cannot stress that enough. Here's why. Because a lot of times we forget, especially those of us who are married, right? We forget that we have particular bills that come up, or we forget that we have something on auto pay, or we forget that we're married to another person that also has access to the checking account, and we didn't quite discuss this particular expense beforehand. So I look in the checking account, say, oh, I got $100 in there. I can go ahead and spend this $100 because I got it in the checking account, right? And you spend it. And then the next day you realize, oh, man, I got this bill I need to pay. That bill was $80. But I just spent the money that was left in the account, right? So your checking account will lie to you. It does not indicate your financial position. Now, it can if you approach it in different, in different ways, but it doesn't really indicate whether or not you can afford something. And we really got to get away from that. We got to get away from checking our checking account to see if we have any money in there, to see if we have enough money in there. We really need to get down to the point where we're making proactive decisions about our money, about how we're going to spend our money. And we're going to continue to do that. And I'm going to, I'm going to continue to beat that into your head as long as you're listening to the show until we get it all together, right? So I'll talk about the numbers that will lie to you. The 401k balance, the 401k balance will lie to you, right? This one is probably one of the biggest ones that I, uh, next to you checking your checking account, but it's one of those things that people either get really excited about or really discouraged about because one, you get discouraged if you don't have any money in your 401k, right? You haven't saved anything for retirement, so you can get discouraged. But I'm going to tell you, don't be discouraged by that, right? Because a 401k or a 403b and all that stuff, it's not the end-all, be-all, right? I've already talked about how I feel about retirement, and so I won't go into that right now. But on the flip side of that, if your 401k balance is super high, unfortunately, that doesn't mean much either. Back in 2008, a lot of people lost quite a bit of money out of their 401ks. There were people who were only a few years away from retiring. They had $800,000, dollars in their 401k, and they lost 40% of it. Now, can you imagine if you had a million dollars in your 401k, you're getting ready to retire, and then the market takes a 40% hit, right? It means you just lost $400,000 like that. You went from a million dollars to only having $600,000. Now, some of y'all be like, man, I'd like to have $600,000. But if you've been working your entire career to build that money up and you lose it that fast, that's hard to take, right? And so why do I say that? Not to scare you, but just so we can be 
aware and alert that these numbers are good indicators, but they're not the overall picture. And we got to get to the point where we're understanding what we're using these things for. What are we using our 401k for? What are we using average rate of return for? Oh, who, who is using the average rate of return, right? Why do our home values matter? Does it matter to the person that's just living in their house? It's just a house, right? It's your roof over your head. It, it protects you. It's your shelter. But who are the people that push home values? Well, real estate agents, a lot of the ones that push, oh, the home values in this area, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because if they can get the home values to go up, they can make more commission, right? So we always are talking about home values. And a lot of people have told us that the way to build wealth is to buy a house and that when, you know, as long as you're in your house, the house will increase in value and that's how you, you create wealth. Well, that's true to an extent. Houses don't really create wealth unless, you know, you're cash flowing their rental or you have a portfolio of homes. But what they do is keep up with inflation, and inflation, but by inflation, all I really mean is ultimately is the cost of living, right? And we talked about that a few episodes back, so I won't dig into that. But I want to get into these numbers just because I know there's a lot of people who who kind of base their financial decisions on these numbers, but I really want to kind of paint the clear picture about what these numbers really mean and what they, more importantly, what they don't mean. So with that being said, what numbers don't lie? What numbers do we want to be looking at? that really matter. And ultimately, I said it before, your actual rate of return is what you really want to talk about. If so, so if somebody comes to you and they want to sell you this product or they want to talk about an investment and they come to you talking about your average rate of return, you can just shut them down right there. Say, look, I don't want to talk about averages. I want to talk about actuals. I want to talk about what I'm really going to look at, right? What am I going to bring home after expenses, after my cost? Because that's the other part about that example I gave. If you got a hundred dollars that doubles and then you lose 50 percent you would think you still got a hundred dollars but they didn't invest your money for free there was fees in that so actually you lost money they told you, you got an average rate of return of 25 percent but you've actually lost money after you've paid your fees for them to do the trading and all that stuff for you but we'll move on so when you want to talk about your investments, actual rate of return is what matter. Your net profits of what, mat what matters, right? So even for business owners, right? What your revenues are, not all that important. Your net profits after, after expenses, that's the number that's most important. After everything has been paid, that's what's important. So for the rest of us that are employees that have jobs, what's important is your take-home pay, right? Because that's the stuff that you get to utilize. I really don't care about the rest of it. Now, I want to maximize it. I want to get the best health insurance I can when we're talking about, you know, benefits. I want to make sure that the government is not taking out as much tax as they need to. I, I don't really want to give them a tax-free loan. I want to take get as much money as I possibly can out of my paycheck. And we talked about that in a few episodes back as well. But what really matters to you when it comes to your salary and your income is what your actual take-home pay is because that's the only thing you can calculate. So a lot of people say, well, my salary is $80,000. Well, how much of that do you get to use, right? That's the number that really matters. The other number that matters is your cash flow. And we've talked about this before as well. Your cash flow is just basically what you bring in minus what's going out. So whatever that, that's left, that's your cash flow. And that's the number you want to focus on, right? If you can get that cash flow as high as possible, that's where you'll get to your financial freedom 
quicker and faster. That's the only way you get to your financial freedom, right? So a lot of people say, well, you need to save, you need to cut your expenses. That's one way to do it. But you also, on the other side of that, you want to make sure that you're learning how to increase your income, increase your means. And all that put together just really just means you want to get your cash flow together and get a better cash flow. So that's the thing that really matters. And the last thing that I'll talk about that really matters when you're thinking about the numbers that do matter, and I call this, I've kind of coined this as your livable wealth. So basically, how much money, how much cash do you have access to that allow you to live, right? So how many months, if you lose your job today, how many months will you and your family be able to survive without any income? That's the livable wealth. So that's the number. At least for me, that's how I, how I look at what's important to me, right? If I lose my income today, how long can my family survive without any more income, right? Those are the things that really matter for us. Not the rest of these numbers. These other numbers, they'll lie to you. Until you get to the point to where you can live several months down the road without having to worry about money, that's probably what your primary goal should be. And then to protect that what you have and then find a plan to grow right we've talked about that before in the roadmap if you've not heard that uh go to the show notes get the roadmap i think you're gonna like it it's very detailed it's very long um but it's a good overview with all the detail it's a good overview of how you want to plan your finances right and how you want to do all that stuff so that's it that's all I got for you, <laughs> right? Men lie, women lie, and numbers do too. And I said this before, is I created this show because I wanted to bring clarity around the issue of money, right? I've said it a million times. I'll probably say it a million times more. Me and my wife, we have an amazing piece around money because we understand it. And I know money is a sensitive issue to so many people. Right. And I just feel like if we can just continue to talk about it and continue to bring up issues around it together to help us understand it, we could take the confusion out of it. We can take the mystery out of it and we'll be able to utilize it a whole lot better. And today's show wasn't to scare you or to be negative, but just to pour some light on what really matters. Because y'all know I'm big. I'm big on that. I'm big on what really matters. I'm real big on eliminating the distractions to get down to the heart of the matter, right? What does this mean for me? And you should be asking that all the time, not just with your money, but with your relationships, you know, with your career moves, with your health. What does this mean for me? How does it help me get closer to what I want to get to? So with that being said, I hope this was super helpful. I rambled quite a bit on this show. I do apologize. I do that from time to time. But if you did like the show or if you could think of anybody that could benefit from the show, please, please share it out. You guys have been sharing out. Last week, On our, we had our biggest release ever. Uh, that Monday, if you don't know, these shows go out every Monday like clockwork. Last Monday was the biggest release ever as far as downloads concerned. So thank you so much, everybody, for supporting that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the ratings and the reviews that you're leaving us on iTunes. We're also available on Stitcher uh, and Google Play Music. Um, at least I they sent me an email said we're on there, but I haven't been able to see it. I have an iPhone, so 
I don't have anything Google, but the Google Maps, my Gmail. But um, they sent me an email. They said you can find the show on that. So check it out. Share it out. Let people know. Uh, We've got more and more stuff coming. Uh, some of you already know I'm studying for a big promotional exam. So your prayers and all that stuff, I would appreciate that. That happens in June. And then after June or in the middle of June, we're going to turn it up. We're going to turn it up and we're going to get nitty gritty and we're going to start talking about some some cool stuff. And we'll have some some courses and and live uh, chats and start getting you guys questions answered. And if anybody has uh, any questions now that you want me to answer on the show, come over to the site or come over to our Facebook page. We got a new Facebook page. You can come like us over there, but come over to the site at yourmoneyright.com. Hit us up. Give us any questions that you got. Uh, if anybody wants to come on to the show and talk about money, I'm more than happy. I would love for that because that's kind of what I had envisioned for the show is any brave souls out there that want to come on and talk about their money issues. Uh, not necessarily issues, but maybe have some questions and uh, some insights or maybe you're somebody that's doing it right. You know, or maybe, you know, some people that are doing it right and we can all, um, you know, really gain from that knowledge. We want to talk to them. And we want to have you on the show so we can have a little bit more dynamic interaction on this show. So, again, I hope that was helpful. That's all I got for you today. If you love it, let me know. If you hate it, tell me so. Share this with somebody you think could benefit from it. Because I truly believe we're not good with money because we don't talk about money. And this show is designed to change just that. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. MPS 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 I said we talking about